Welcome to A Dark Turn, part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm your host, Kevin Deutsch. Here on the show, our goal is to take you deep inside the worlds of criminals and criminality and illuminate the darker parts of American society, especially those where violence and psychopathy collide with the American ideal. On today's show, we're proud to welcome writer Yoan Grillo. He's a contributing writer at the New York Times, specializing in crime and drugs. He's based in Mexico City and has also worked for Time Magazine, The History Channel, CNN, Reuters, The AP, and Esquire. He's the author of El Narco, a finalist for the LA Times Book Award, and Gangsta Warlords, a New York Times Review, Editor's Choice, and a Guardian Book of the Year. His new book is Blood Gun Money, How America Arms Gangs and Cartels. He, uh, in reporting the, the book, Grillo traveled to gun manufacturers, strolled the aisles of gun shows and gun shops, and talked to FBI agents who infiltrated backer gangs. Uh, he hung out on Baltimore corners and visited the ATF Gun Tracing Center in West Virginia. And in doing so, uh, he learned a ton of fascinating information about the global gun trafficking trade, particularly uh, with regards to how, it, how America feeds that trade. Um, he details the many ways that legal guns can cross over into the black market and into the hands of criminals, fueling violence not just in the United States, but south of the border as well. Um, he writes that simple legislative measures would help close these loopholes, but that America's powerful gun lobby is uncompromising in its defense of the hallowed Second Amendment. Perhaps, however, if guns were not seen as symbols of freedom, but as key accessories in our epidemic of addiction, the conversation would shift, uh, Grillo suggests. Blood gun money is that conversation shifter, and Yohan's book, I think, could have wide-ranging uh, consequences uh, and impact on the gun debate and on uh, potential legislation in this country if we, if we get the word out about it and get people to read it, because it's such a nuanced and powerful look at how our uh, America's addiction to guns feeds crime, terrorism, and drug trafficking across the globe. Um, I hope you enjoy my interview with Yoan Grillo. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for joining us on A Dark Turn to discuss your new book, Blood, Gun, Money. We really appreciate you taking time to be here. Thank you. Great to be here. The book is really a, a tour uh, of the, the global underside of, of the arms trade and, and the dark side of, of American capitalism and, and globalism, uh, global capitalism. Um, you take us from the street corners of Baltimore to gun... Uh, manufacturing uh, gun stores and manufacturers to former cartel members to the ATF uh, trace office and it really provides a level of depth and power that I think a lot of a lot of books on this issue lack a lot of books on on guns and the gun trade are are somewhat dry and yours is really I think powerful and propulsive and, and it's a story that is gripping um, and, and a lot of Americans don't realize uh, the the how the importance of you know that that guns play in crime, um, terrorism, criminal networks, drugs, guns play a role in everything. And so, um, I wanted to ask you for starters, what what uh, how how ha, how has how have guns and gun crime impacted you? I know you you're you live in Mexico, been there for twenty in Mexico City for twenty years, and Mexico is one of the most dangerous places for journalists. How has gun violence impacted you and 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 what brought you to this material uh, for this book? Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks much for the invitation. Uh, great to be on the podcast. 
So I arrived in Mexico in the year 2000. I began reporting in 2001. I'd grown up in the UK, so very little uh, contact with guns in the UK growing up. Uh, arriving in Mexico, I began journalism and very quickly began covering the issue of crime and drugs and, uh, and th these related issues uh, and also traveled around Latin America and the Caribbean looking particularly at these issues. So over those 20 years, uh, I've covered what I think is best described as a hybrid of crime and war. I mean, we're talking about more than 300,000 murders in the last 10 years about two-thirds of those believed to be connected to the cartels or the security forces fighting them. Mass graves with close to 300 people buried in them. Single massacres of 72 people. So I've been covering these violence, extreme gun violence, over the last two decades. Now also, I have had friends, colleagues who have died, been murdered um, by guns or by people with guns or other, including Javier Valdez, who was a prolific journalist from Sinaloa. I first met him in 2008, um, a great guy, we got heavily drunk together on the first meeting <laughs> until the early hours of the morning, uh, telling a lot of stories and uh, he was a real prolific voice on, on drugs, he wrote eight books on this, uh, cartels, drugs, criminals, and he was shot dead on May 15th. 2017 uh, so yeah he was shot dead um, coming out of his newspaper offices uh, at midday shot dead with 12 bullets um, and I live in this bring up a, a, a daughter I have a family here in Mexico so it's really an issue for everybody I think living in this society uh, the issue of guns and gun violence uh, so it's, yeah, it's very personal to me, it's become very personal to me, uh, this murders, mass murders, and looking for any solutions to this. And you've written uh, your other books, El Narco, and, and the work that you've done uh, uh, on, on these issues, covering drugs uh, uh, and criminal networks. Um, guns have always played a role in that. Um, but what made you, as a, as a journalist, decide it was time to just focus on this issue exclusively for this book? And, and what, what, what propelled you toward that subject matter after covering, uh, uh, after your other books, which really dealt with uh, criminal warlords, cartels, and drug trafficking? Yeah, I mean, I've had stories about guns and the gun trade going all the way back to like 2000. Three, uh, I think I had a first big story for the Houston Chronicle newspaper on illegal guns, and I've done been many stories there. Um, and I've thought about this issue of guns, the gun trade, or something, um, but I, I didn't dive into it in a book for a couple of reasons for a while. One of them being, I thought, well, in the United States, this is kind of a brick wall that you hit. Uh, the Second Amendment is so strong, there's not going to be no real maneuver on this. But that changed for me in 2017 when I did an interview with a gun trafficker in prison in Ciudad Juarez. And he explained how he was driving up every weekend from Ciudad Juarez to the Dallas urban area and he was buying each weekend about a dozen AR-15 rifles and smuggling them back to Mexico, pay, uh, 
charging about triple for them so he's making uh, quite a lot of money if you do the maths on that you know you can uh, uh, make in you know in a weekend tens of thousands of dollars um, doing this and he was um, doing that and he was buying the guns with no paperwork whatsoever he told me I was just driving up there no paperwork at all um, handing out cash and buying the guns so I thought well that's that's interesting um, and I went up to one of the gun shows he talked about walked into the gun show and saw people offering uh, and had this on tape people offering sell guns brand new guns with no paperwork at all so he described this as a kind of black market in the gun show so you have the gun show and you have a black market happening in the gun show now that's kind of right and kind of wrong what's, what's weird is that it's, it's, it's legal or it's kind of in an ambiguous territory in the collectors are supposedly allowed to sell guns with no paperwork whatsoever but they are abusing the law abusing that loophole in the law to traffic guns and, and people are selling brand new guns and, and I found out through my research there's documented cases of people selling over a thousand guns this way so they're actually engaged in the business of selling guns they're not collectors they're gun sellers and they're deliberately selling to people in some cases, and uh, it's on tape, people deliberately sending to people who they know are criminals and abusing this kind of, you know, what, what's happening um, in gun shows and so forth to do this. So then I realized, well, there is, uh, there, there is a lot more to find out about this. It's not as simple as Americans like guns defend their rights, the guns are going to be trafficked. There's a lot of things happening here. And then I saw these things like people buying 85 guns in a single sale. You know, walking to a gun shop and buying 85 firearms, people buying 10 AK, it was the same model of AK-47s, and they end up going to the to the Setters Cartel. So then, and, and also I realized that the issue of guns, as you were saying, um, it threads through many of these issues in today's world. What are the kind of guns that are being used? How have they changed warfare? And how is it in Mexico we have this kind of hybrid crime war happening? So what's the history and the nature of the AK-47 and how does that change warfare in Mexico? Um, how are these Barrett 50 caliber rifles come down here? So all of these questions I thought were important. Dived into the book and spent four years learning everything I could about firearms, black market of firearms, uh, gun culture and everything else connected to it. You, you, you have some amazing data uh, which you flesh, which you you use to tell the large, the broader stories behind those numbers, which I think is one of the great things about the book, it really humanizes these, these numbers. But uh, you write that leaked weapons from the legal U.S. gun industry find their way to criminals in every U.S. state and 136 other countries. Um, and you, you also talk about how the U.S. has an estimated 393, 393 million guns in civilian hands, more than the next 25 countries combined. Um, and millions more are churned out every year, and we, we're probably, we must be over 400 million guns by now. Um, and, and you write that that's, that, you know, that th those guns are possessed by a relatively, you know, a, a minority uh, portion of the population. It's not like everybody has a gun. Um, so, but, but the gun, but, but we have so many guns in this country, and I think um, a lot of uh, readers would be interested in knowing sort of how that massive number of guns gets to 136 other countries and how that leakage works. So just tell, t tell us, you, one of the things you do that's so cool in this book is you trace guns from the manufacturer to, to, uh, to crimes. Um, 
and you take this on that journey. But tell us a little bit about how that leakage happens. How do you, how come America's 400 million some odd guns are ending up uh, literally in, in a, almost every country on earth and contributing to crime all over the globe? Yeah, so you have in the United States the biggest legal retail market in firearms in the world by far. And you have a parallel black market in firearms. So if you think of that as kind of two different things but connected, and guns pass from the legal market where they're being sold legally with paperwork and so forth to criminals who are selling them, smuggling them, moving them around, deliberately selling them to people who they know are felons, gangsters, uh, part terrorist organizations in some cases. Now, guns, when they're smuggled out, there's various routes that guns just smuggled into other countries. One of the biggest routes is over the southern border, which is what I look at a lot right over the southern border into Mexico. And then from Mexico, they can also then pass to Colombia, for example, because there's, there's one pilot that I interview, and he uh, was a cocaine pilot. He was flying up from Colombia to Mexico with planes, loads of cocaines, and flying down with them full of guns, because there's no point in flying with an empty plane. If you're a businessman, you're paying for the gas. Mm. You know, why not fill out, fill out for the guns as well, which they can get from the United States? So then they, they bounce from, so then they're Mexico, then they're in Colombia, then in Colombia they're in the hands of groups that are on the US terrorist list, like the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia, and involved in, in what we consider more of an open armed conflict there. Then they've got places like Florida with these container ships leaving, and people in Florida got very large communities of migrants from all across the Americas and the Caribbean who are always sending goods back, consumer goods back to their home countries. So you have these container boxes and you can just put a bunch of pots and pans and stick some guns in there. Or even send a car back and fill up the car with goods and have a bunch of guns in there. So you have these guns then reaching, you know, Jamaica, down to Brazil, um, you know, right across the hemisphere. But then we see these bizarre cases, you know, of guns turning up in the Philippines, in like the southern islands of Davao in the Philippines and then being traced to Texas. It's like, wow, they've made it a long way, you know, right over the Pacific. So it's quite quite incredible. Uh, and then we also get other, other routes uh, of guns moving, which are more things like the United States uh, supplying firearms to certain governments or groups and then being leaked. So we saw these kind of uh, M16s given to Iraqis, which then turn up in the hands of the Islamic State and that kind of thing. And you, you write uh, about these issues at a time when they're back in the news. It's so topical because uh, two things that, are, that you write about are immigration and uh, gun, gun reform efforts. Uh, immigration, tell us a little bit about, first, about how the connection between gun trafficking um, and violence in Central and South America and and uh, and immigration. Sure. So I, a lot of what I've been writing about this last 20 years has been this violence in Mexico, in Central America and South America and how to understand this violence, which, as I say, I believe is a, is a kind of hybrid of crime and war. The, you know, it makes a real difference when you have these groups that are using you know, 100 guys with AK-47s uh, you know, really engaging in these kind of crazy things and the, the, the influence they have in societies. Now, if we look particularly at the cases of Honduras, um, which is the, the country which has been 
in the biggest meltdown and has and some of the biggest numbers of migrants and refugees have come from in the last 10 years you've got this, this extreme violence there now a lot of those guns are, are coming down as well through mexico or on boats and out of florida around the caribbean and this is you know, this is traced without any doubt and there you see some pretty horrible violence happening to regular people predatory violence in terms of uh, people going from one neighbor to another to do some work on a construction site and they're in the wrong territory and get shot in both legs you know there's one guy i talked on the migrant trail another woman here with a straight bullet um and she was paralyzed from the waist down was being carried on the migrant trail by her, her husband and a friend literally carried along the road so people who are, who are literally fleeing bullets and you know this situation and then turning up on the u.s border which then becomes a real hot potato issue so you see these two massive issues very much combined and you know a need to try and come to terms with the violence that's been scarring plaguing a lot of parts of latin america and the caribbean uh, one of the one of the things you do in this book is also is also look at it from the side of of law enforcement at the atf in particular um and how uh these guys and uh try to track guns uh globally and, and in america and try to try to find try to solve crimes through guns uh, and the challenges they face and the obstacles that have been erected before them and how difficult a job they have um and also you know the atf with the fast and furious scandal which you write about uh in this book has been so heavily politicized now uh, on top of all of the uh, the political problems uh, when, when you talk about guns in America, um, the political, the pitfalls, and, and all, even with the terminology, which you also write about, uh, how everything is controversial. Um, uh, what was it like tracking, uh, work, uh, uh, writing about these, these ATF agents, and, and what did you learn about them um, and their work that you think would, would interest our listeners? Yeah, I think, I think it's a curious agency, uh, the ATF. If you put it alongside the other big federal agencies like the FBI, the DEA, you know, the Drug Enforcement Administration, more recently, he's in the news, ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Um, among these, the ATF is poorer in terms of budgets. It's been hit on budgets very hard over a lot of years. And it doesn't have the same place in popular fiction. You know, DEA, you think of like... Uh, you know, DA agents in these missions, FBI, everyone knows about them, G-men, uh, and the ATF people don't really have much of an image about them. For a lot of the the, the guns, rights, hardliners, um, this, they, they, they hate the ATF, you know, this is the agency that wants to take away their guns. So they've achieved through the gun lobby uh, a lot of restrictions on the agency, like no other federal agency. So you see these, these really, you know, interesting, weird stories like if police find the literal smoking gun at a crime scene so they, they've got the corpse they've got the, you know, the criminal the murderer has left the smoking gun at the crime scene they phone up and go give me a trace i've got the gun and they said the atf says the trace center sorry we can't do that that's against the law it's against the law to digitally trace a firearm wow. um, and, and a, lot of, a lot of cops don't know that. even though regular cops don't know this but these are you know, what has been achieved. So, there's, again, there's a lot in this story, a lot of meat in the story 
beyond simply the question of Second Amendment, the right to have guns or not, there's a lot of debate about exactly how this should be managed. Um, within that, then you have got you know, these ATF agents who have done these um, crazy undercover operations, a profile, this one guy, Coz, who went undercover in three biker gangs. You know, he did deep undercover. Uh, he was you know, two years living in Virginia, riding around on motorcycles with a bunch of these guys, the warlocks, um, getting in these big bar fights and that kind of thing. You know, he got shot out of you know, metal bars over his head and that kind of thing. So you see them doing these kind of crazy operations. And then we get to Fast and Furious, which is this operation out of Arizona by the ATF in 2009 to 2010 that was blown open in 2011. Now, that's a very important part of this story. Uh, it happened under the under President Obama, under Attorney General Eric Holder. A lot of the gun rights people use that as evidence that you know really these people are corrupt and they 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 want to do this to kind of stay in the issue of guns. But what happened was that the ATF agents uh, basically watched almost two thousand guns in one part of this operation be trafficked to Mexico and to cartels. Uh, one of them was found in the, one of the last safe houses of El Chapo Guzman before he was arrested. One of them was found by criminals who shot dead a border patrol agent from Bordak, uh, elite border patrol uh, a, a unit. And so that was a kind of big part of this, and I look into that, kind of get deep into how this went wrong, what they were playing at, uh, and what really that operation meant. I think one of the bigger fall, fallouts of that is that after that was came out in 2011, attempts to actually stop or reduce trafficking of guns over the southern border to Mexico basically stopped in 2011. And it's only now, 10 years later, that you know, this has come back on the agenda. We've now got the Mexican Foreign Secretary who's kind of bringing this up back on the agenda. But in that 10 years since then, I mean, we, you know, it was terrible. The operation was, was a seriously botched up, bad operation. But they're talking about 2,000 guns. In the 10 years since then, it could have been 2 million guns which were trafficked over the southern border. With so many millions of guns uh, come, you know, being trafficked out uh, from America into uh, illicit markets across the globe, um, it, the, the biggest takeaway for me from this book was sort of the, this realization that if you could somehow get a handle on uh, stopping these, these guns from leaking out and, and fueling conflicts across the world and crimes, um, you know, you could simultaneously bring get get a better handle on drug trafficking, get a better handle on immigration. It would collide, it could like saw it could help alleviate so many of the world's problems if you could just get at this sort of part of it because you need guns to traffic drugs. I mean that's one of the things you write about is how the the the, the guns are you know you can't have these massive drug networks that that use violence to protect themselves and, and to gain power without guns to threaten people. Um, so I think it's so important. Uh, I think readers will, will grasp uh, some new elements to this story because it's just it's it plays a part in everything. And so that being said, what um, what do what do you think the prospects are for for getting a better handle on um, on the gun situation in America as far as guns going uh, gu guns being produced legally going out into the illegal markets? What do you think our prospects are given you know the the Biden actions recently and and sort of your take um, 
from from a, a reporter with a lot of experience in, in Mexico now. So you're seeing what we're doing here from that side. Uh, what are, what are the chances on on fixing some of these these massive issues that that flow out of uh, in part from gun trafficking? Yeah. So, so responding to what you were saying about the, the the link between drugs and guns, I think that's one of the uh, crazy central things in this story. Very very important is you have. I mean, I I, I use the, the the metaphor like they're like two venomous plants wrapped around each other the illegal gun trade the illegal drug trade and they, they kind of feed off each other uh and so you see these links at all these different stages you know i talked to a, a gun trafficker in baltimore and he's bringing guns and selling them to drug dealers uh you you see and on a much bigger scale you see the mexican cartels bringing down guns and trading them with the revolutionary armed force of colombia for cocaine so you see all these links together there uh, I think in terms of the United States and, and how I look at the, this issue uh, and more from the policy perspective, because the book is primarily a work of investigation, but I also do have kind of look at policy. I think you, you kind of have to in this. Um, I mean, first of all, I think, you know, I, I don't get into attacking in any way the Second Amendment or the basic right of Americans to bear arms and the issue of people having guns to defend themselves or for the sport or, or different things. Um, I, I did get into some of the gun culture because I realized that the laws themselves are created to understand how the laws are in this way. You have to understand elements of the gun culture. I think the, the American gun debate is in a pretty crazy place. Uh, and you see how things kind of moved and transformed over the decades originally the nra was not um a group with these very hardline perspectives the nra was originally formed in new york uh, one of the founders had worked at the new york times they were basically teaching people to try and shoot straight they'd seen how uh, in the civil war uh, soldiers from the north uh, couldn't shoot straight so they wanted to teach him to shoot straight was basically how it began if you look in the 1930s and up to the 1960s the nra were in favor of gun regulations it was from the 1970s and then onwards you saw them radicalize and have these very very hard lines and become part of this big cultural divide now i think when we look at things now you know, even with the right to bear arms, you have to look at you know basic discussions about things like you know should firearms be in the hands of criminals? If somebody's been convicted of murder with a firearm, they've got to have prison. Should they have a gun? Now, presently they can't, but some of the gun hardliners believe well, it's their God-given right to have firearms. Um, you know, what are the levels of guns people can have? So you're kind of forced into a discussion about this, whatever whatever that has to become kind of some kind of sensible way of dealing with this and i think a lot of that you know right now it's, there's not really a basic enforcement of guns going to the gun trafficking you know we see these crazy things um how uh, a woman who's supposedly a housewife is walking into shops and buying barrett 50s with fifteen thousand dollars in cash and doing that again and again and they go into cartels and how red flag is not being raised there. Um, how people are, are supplying you know, gangsters, killers with large amounts of weapons, knowing where they're going, and they just get probation. Um, so I feel now it's kind of, I think the question could just be on basic enforcement. Now, this is certainly something that can be done. 
I think it is good this is on the agenda now. It is good the Biden administration has taken this up. I think the government has to be careful not getting drawn out into a big conflict with gun owners and conservatives about this. Like I said, I think they can focus on some of these sensible issues. I mean, like things like the universal background checks. I think if you buy a gun, someone's buying a gun, they have to go to the background check. If it turns out they're a criminal, they've got some record, they kind of, that gets red flagged. Um, right now there's gaps and that's not happening. Somebody can go online and, and this is this specific case is there's somebody going online saying, I want a gun, I'm desperate, I want a gun. Somebody sending them a gun and then going in and just right away, they, they've got a record. <laughs> they go in right away and like shoot dead like an ex-wife and a bunch of other people as well. Uh, and this is happening right now. So, so, so these things could be stopped. I think, I think mo- that, well, we know the majority of gun owners, of gun, gun owners are in favour of having universal background checks. The majority of gun owners have got no problem with straw buyers for cartels getting higher sentences. Where it gets difficult, I think, is when we get to the issues like the assault rifle ban. Um, these are tougher issues. So I think it would be strategically more sensible for the government to first talk about issues where there's a broad agreement with where you can find compromise before getting into more controversial subjects. As you said, this is a your book is a work of primarily of investigative journalism, and it's really uh, uh, groundbreaking in a lot of different ways. Uh, because uh, I I've never seen a book that delved this deep deeply um, into uh, into uh, uh, black market uh, arms the black market arms trade in America about which we really don't know a whole lot because there's this information sort of black hole, and you sort of blow that open. Um, what uh, uh with your reporting um but w- what do you think is the most important thing you want readers to take away from and know about um know about this book pr- primarily uh, american readers i would say it's to kind of take in the violence that's happening and how that violence connects to so many issues in our lives whether that violence be in america itself and we see violence in places like Baltimore, Maryland, you know, gun violence there, and how that really affects so many issues in the United States. It's the gun violence and then uh, the, the justification for heavily armed police in response, which then leads to, to shootings of unarmed people, which then leads to a whole bunch of issues there. Whether it's the guns in Mexico and Central America and people fleeing that as refugees, the real human losses uh, of what gun violence means when gun violence gets out of control. And when you see there the crying family members, the suffering, the kind of pointless death, the, the intimidation of what that really means and, and how this is connected and how it's something which can change. I do believe that there can be progress on this issue and we do not necessarily have to accept uh, things like levels of murders in American cities that are some of the worst in the world and in Latin American cities which you know really are at horrific levels and as, again as comparison I mean to, to say that the kind of level of gun violence is normal if you look at even at medieval Europe it was like 20 murders per 100,000 but now we're seeing like four times that in St. Louis and five six times that in Tijuana 
so even way worse than than you know what medieval Europe looked like before there was uh, you know police forces and any of these modern things and people were just um, fighting with swords and daggers. Just absolute madness, and uh, the the book is tremendous. Uh, it's blood, gun, money: how America arms gangs and cartels. The author is Yoan Grillo. Um, I I should have mentioned this at the beginning. But you, I've been reading you for years, and I think you're you're one of the best in the business. So it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. Uh, we appreciate you coming on the show, and we wish you the best of luck with the book. Fantastic! Thanks so much for having me, and uh, all best there. Keep in touch.